May my Lord, the Almighty, our God, our Creator and Maker, that He be with us today, that He be with you, and that He bless you greatly. I greet you with all of my affection today, and once again, we are here in the meeting that we have scheduled for our Sunday to be delighted in the Lord, to delight ourselves in His Word, analyzing God's Word, His written Word, written by men, but inspired by the Holy Spirit. Men of God, in whom the Holy Spirit dwelled upon to speak, to speak of the past, the present, and the future, to speak to us today. And this is why we are delighted when we read the Bible. We are delighted when the Holy Spirit manifests himself in our lives. And he pushes us to continue forward, and he gives us that enthusiasm in our being to push forward. And so today, as always, we are happy, we are joyful, because we're going to devote this hour, hour and a half, with all of our heart, to the Lord, putting aside all problems, sadness, any affliction, putting that aside, and just being joyful with the Lord, because our God is the only one who can give a solution to all problems, all difficulties, everything that human beings are not able to resolve on their own. And so today you may have a seat, you can get comfortable in your places, and a greeting to also the brothers and sisters who are present here, to all of you, well, you are all welcome and a greeting to you with all affection. And of course, all of us, we will be singing to the Lord with all of our heart. Hymn 202, titled At Calvary. Now, at Calvary, well, for many years, we spent in vanity and pride. So before knowing or before converting to this path and coming to the Lord's path, we maybe lived with different superstitions and we were in idolatry believing in statues and images believing in paintings and in many other things there are were many other gods a lot of idolatry that is how we lived in the past and this we call vanity that idolatry is called vanity in the bible and so this is why it starts off saying years I spent, many, meaning I lived in that idolatry for many years and in those beliefs, but now I live for God, I live for Christ, and that's what it is. We live for Him, Him 202. Years I spent in vanity and pride, caring not my Lord was crucified. Knowing not it was for me, he died on Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. By 
God's word at last my sin I learned. Then I trembled at the law I'd spurned, till my guilty soul imploring turned to Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Now I've given to Jesus everything. Now I gladly own him as my king. Now my raptured soul can only sing of Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Oh, the love that drew salvation's plan. Oh, the grace that brought it down to man. Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Mercy there was great and grace was free. Pardon there was multiplied to me. There my burdened soul found liberty at Calvary. Blessed is the name of the Lord. Thanks be to our God for this marvelous opportunity to be here once again. Being here in his presence. And we will be making our hearts and our souls glad. And we will be praising the Lord with the reading of the word. The study of the Lord's word. And not only that is it a teaching to you all but that you may put to practice everything that God orders and commands, everything that the Lord asks that we do to please him. We ought to please our God, for he is the only one that is able to help resolve all of our problems and the conflicts that present in life. In every country, we see wars, and hardships and tribulation, a lot of problems and turmoil worldwide, but everything is resolved with a mighty God. When we have God, we will live still and peacefully, but without God, it is impossible. Human beings, they are not able with their intelligence or their abilities and their studies and intellectual preparation, they are not able to resolve the problems of a nation, of a state, of a country, whatever we want to call it. They cannot. 
God is the only one that can help, the only one that can support. So this is why we need to call upon this true God, this God in spirit and truth, just as it was taught here by our Lord Jesus Christ when he taught the Samaritan woman. He said the time would come in which no longer would they seek God in that temple in Jerusalem nor in the temple that was in Samaria. He said not here nor there in Samaria. That is not where you will seek the Lord. The time will come where the Lord must be sought in spirit and truth for God is spirit. And so we, we believe that we have lived this entire time from the time we've gotten to know the Lord, we have experienced that this is true. God is spirit and he is in all places. Wherever he is called with all of your heart and soul. And so the Lord, he watches over the son of men. He looks upon mankind and sees what they do. He blesses his children and he wants people to know his name and to fear him, to respect him, to appreciate him. So this is why we are here trying to make known to you this path, this way of how we can draw closer to the Lord, approach him, to love him and respect him so that he may bless us, so that he may bless all. He may bless different countries and governments. We must pray and ask the Lord. With violence and with wars, problems will never be resolved. It is with God's power, with God's love. Knowing God, everything will be different. As our brother Andres said before, he didn't want to share all of the testimonies that we've heard from in Israel because we know that in Israel there is a group of brothers and sisters who do congregate. They congregate a part of the church of God and they have lived many marvelous experiences on how the Lord has protected them, kept them safe, and how God has also revealed all of the things that are happening now. And I think that their prayer is very important because God hears it and I'm sure God will have much mercy because of his children. Glory to the Lord. And we thank our God. And we feel very happy, privileged in having a powerful God like the one we have. And well, today we're going to continue with Romans until you tell me to stop and to tell me what other things you want to learn. Because the whole entire Bible is so interesting. And to learn the entire Bible, well, it's going to take us some time. And imagine if, what would you think if maybe we, we started and then when we finished, we'd have to start it again? Well, God begins to manifest himself in that way. And we find new things when we do that, because that is how God's word is. That is the way in which the Holy Spirit manifests himself, teaching us and guiding us. And he hides some mysteries and then he leaves them so that we discover them later. And so in this way, we're going to be delighted in the Lord's word. And we're going to open in Romans chapter nine. We're going to go over a few of the verses that we went over last week in Romans chapter 9, verse 30 to 33. Last week is when we read these, but this is a preamble in starting chapter 10 because we're going to be reading chapter 10 today. But first we go back a little bit in chapter 9 from verse 30, which says... And now, remember, here the Apostle Paul was speaking 
concerning the people of Israel in antiquity, the people who God at that time had elected, and that God wanted to choose and form a people that would be exclusive to him, that would be holy and perfect, full of holiness and love toward God and obedience for the Lord, in which God would manifest himself constantly with them, and God would show the world his power through that nation. That was the Lord's plan. But since that did not happen because the hearts of the people did not allow that to happen, this is why the Lord changes things. And also, while well, he had this plan even before the foundation of the world, he knowing how the hearts of men would be, that it would be weak and hard of heart and rebellious, well, the Lord also had a second plan, that marvelous plan that began with Abraham. And that later, that faith of Abraham, Abraham's faith of having believed God and having done God's will, God justified him and said he was righteous. He was an upright man. And that in this manner, this is how the future nation would be saved that future people, because the people of Israel he would now form would be, or that they would form later on, they would be a failure. And so God had his people in the future in store with that coming of the Savior, the Messiah. And so that's exactly what happened. And this is why the Apostle Paul, he formed a parallel and gave an explanation, a very profound explanation to the Jews of that time and to the Gentiles who also were present and congregated as Christians believing in the Lord. And there were some Jews who also had converted to the way of the gospel. Now, this is who the apostle was, going, was giving an explanation to so that they had conviction, so that they would not doubt and would know what the decision had been that they had made or the correct righteous path that they wanted to follow from there on out on how to find God and have God and reach the Lord. And so this is why he speaks of this righteousness, the righteousness that God gave to Abraham. Well, he gives to all believers, all the followers of the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, it says, that they are justified because the Lord is teaching all of them righteousness, uprightness. And so through that faith, which is to believe in Jesus Christ as God, and as the only savior. So this is why in verse 30, where it says that this righteousness is through faith, and the apostle then says, what shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness, let's remember the Gentiles were the other nations that were not Israelites. They were the Gentiles. Now they did not follow or pursue righteousness. They were not interested in seeking a true God. They had their own gods. They had their idols, their own beliefs. This is why the apostle says, the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained, they have attained righteousness. The righteousness that comes with faith in Jesus Christ. The Gentiles attained it because they have converted. Now, of course, he was speaking of all of the Gentiles who at that point had converted to Christianity. Now this is why it says, have attained to righteousness. The Gentiles, 
They have attained righteousness, even that righteousness of faith or believing in Christ as God, as a son of God, and as the only path that leads to eternal life. Verse 31, but Israel, which had been the chosen people, the people God had elected to be righteous, for them to practice righteousness and uprightness, they were guided by a law. It says they did not attain that blessing. This is what verse 31 is saying. But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained. They have not attained that righteousness. In verse 32, why? Because they did not seek it by faith. So they were not believing in God, nor desiring or longing to please God, but they limited themselves into just realizing and somewhat fulfilling some of the rules, some of the commandments, a series of commands and orders that had been given to them and that were written through Moses. They limited themselves to that, but in their heart, there was no faith for God. There was no love. There was no desire to live a holy, upright life to please God. Now, it says that they did not seek it by faith but as it were by the works of the law of Moses. So they were just trying to fulfill those laws and rules, like I said before, for they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They did not believe. They did not attain that righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. For on the contrary, Jesus Christ became a stumbling stone in their way. And as it is written in Isaiah 28, 16, it was written, it had been prophesied by the prophet Isaiah when the Lord said, behold, I lay in Zion. Now, when it says I lay in Zion, he was telling the people of Israel, he says, I lay in Zion, a stumbling stone and a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him being that stone will not be put to shame. But whoever does not believe in that stone, who was Jesus Christ, that stone was Jesus Christ, and that was in reference to the Messiah, the Savior, well, then he would, that person would be put to shame, and they would lose their salvation, and God would not justify them. So our Lord Jesus Christ was that stumbling stone and a rock of offense for the people of Israel to all of those who were apparently practicing the law of Moses, which they never truly practiced it in its totality. They never kept it in its totality. This is why the Lord did not justify them. And so the Apostle Paul here is highlighting the Messiah, the Savior, Jesus Christ, the only way that leads to eternal life. Jesus Christ is the only one. There is no other. There is no saint. There is no one that can save other than Jesus Christ. And he does not eat any person to mediate in between. Like some people, they seek uh, someone to mediate. They seek a saint. They say, Saint Philemon or Philemon, they will, they will in, uh, intervene on behalf of me and the Lord. I will ask of Saint Philemon or another saint because they, they hear me. So they, they go and they speak to God on my behalf. But that is a lie. All of that is a lie. 
the Lord, he did set a stumbling stone for the people of Israel, and it was the Savior, the Redeemer, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who came over 2,000 years ago. But God taught and teaches throughout the entire Bible that he is who we must believe and follow, and he is the only way, and he does not eat anyone to come and intervene before uh, between us and him, but we directly, we direct ourselves to him and we ask him. And here, in this comparison made by the Apostle Paul, he was lamenting himself that his brethren, the Jews, did not accept this great salvation that was being offered to them. He lamented that. He was very sad, very sad and saying, my brethren, the Jews, they do not want to believe. And so what the Lord had said is fulfilled, that this Messiah that came became a stumbling stone in their lives. But we must continue on in the fight. We must continue forward. The Apostle Paul did not lose heart. He always continued teaching with the hope that those, his brethren, would convert to the true path so that they too could enjoy life with God because it is enjoying God's presence, which is so beautiful. It's beautiful in the life of any human being. And here in chapter 10, where we're going to begin, the apostle says, brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And this is just what I had said before, that he suffered. He was very worried about his brethren, the Israelites. But it says he prayed, prayed to God for them. And we must continue praying so that many, not just them, but many people in the world, Gentiles as well, all of the other nations may come to the knowledge of our God and so we today, we could say, well, we too are praying so that all of those people of many different nations, of many different continents, may convert to God and may know this marvelous God, this God that is powerful. Now, in verse 2, in Paul's worry and in the prayer that he made for his brethren, the Jews, he says, for I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge or the true knowledge of the word of God. Now, when it says that it's not according to knowledge, what this means is that they had zeal for God, but they had no knowledge of the true word of God, the true path of the Lord. They were unaware. They were unaware of the true reasons for which the Lord behaved as he did with them and the true reasons on why the Lord sent the Savior and that they then rejected him. And so the Apostle Paul, it says that they had great zeal, zeal for their religion. But they had no knowledge of God, meaning the Holy Spirit was not with them teaching them, teaching them the true path. Now, you do need the presence of the Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit, which is the same, or the Spirit of Christ, it is the same. The Spirit of the Lord is needed 
in order to understand and comprehend the true path that leads us to eternal life. And today, just as the Apostle Paul, he struggled with the Israelites, the Jews, and he prayed for them, well, we too, our struggle is with many nations, with many different religious beliefs, many other foreign gods that other nations have. We have this fight, not just with Jews and Israelites, but and with Gentiles, with all people, all of those different religious groups, denominations, whatever you want to call it. Today, our struggle and our desire is to pray to God and ask that they all may come to this knowledge of the word of God, to the true knowledge of the doctrine. Now, we call that knowledge. It says again here, knowledge that they did not have knowledge. It was, it was knowing but not truly knowledgeable. They lacked to truly know the path and way. The Holy Spirit is the one who makes his way known. Because today there are many people, many nations that say, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. But they don't have true knowledge of God. They don't have the complete knowledge of what it means to follow him and what to do to please him and to attain eternal life and what is needed to be done to live a holy, righteous life before the Lord. Verse 3. The apostle then says in well, verse 2 again that they did have zeal for their religion, but they didn't have knowledge. Why? Verse 3, for they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, but they have not submitted to the righteousness of God. What they wanted to do was to submit themselves to their own righteousness, their own way of understanding and of thinking and of doing things with greater ease. And so this is why they did not submit themselves to the true righteousness of God. Verse number four says, for Christ is the end of the law. For the end of the law of Moses is Christ. Now this is very painful for many. They don't accept it. Who would accept these things? Who will accept when people say, well, how can I make my religion null? How can I leave and abandon my religion? No, I need to continue in my religion. This is my religion that my parents taught me, my grandparents, my great-grandparents, my, my ancestors, they instilled this religion in me, and so I need to continue in my religion. But as it turns out, religion doesn't save. Religion condemns, does not save. When we know a living God of power, there is no longer any religions that count. There is no longer your father, or your grandparents, or your ancestors with their customs and beliefs. That's no longer valid. We need to open our eyes to a new life. We have found a path that leads us to God because we have felt God with us. We feel him. And this is why we speak and we confirm that we must change, that we must find that true God. Our religion now we put aside. It is then just a memory. My religion is just a memory because I have found a true living God that manifests himself in my life every day, all the time. In moments of difficulty, he is there ready to help me.
And so this is why we continue reading here what the Apostle Paul, with good reason, said that the end for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For everyone who believes in Jesus Christ as God. Jesus Christ, who God sent. Jesus Christ, that leads us to eternal life. Jesus Christ, the truth and life. The way, the truth, and the life. Whoever believes in that, in that righteousness or that path, their religion dies. Their religion is left behind. And so this is why it says, for Christ is the end of the law. Christ came and the law was put aside. God no longer keeps in mind this religion. No longer will he keep it in mind the day that the Lord goes to judge people, the day that all present themselves in that judgment, the Lord will not speak to them of the law of Moses and say, well, why didn't you keep the law? Did you keep it? What did you do? No. The Lord will say, why didn't you believe in who I sent, the Messiah, the Savior, who I sent in this year? The Lord, I'm sure, will say the, the date that we commonly know. And the Lord will say, why didn't you believe? Why didn't you follow his path? Why didn't you honor me and praise me in his name? That's what the Lord will say on that day of judgment. And so no one could no longer say, well, my religion, well, my ancestors, well, my parents, or society, my family, society, they will brand me and, and mock me. No, Lord, the Lord will not accept any of these things. In, on that judgment day, the Lord is going to observe the followers of the true gospel, the followers of Jesus Christ, the followers of those who were taught by God through the Holy Spirit. Those are who the Lord will observe and he will justify. Now in verse number five, for Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. And now he told Moses, the man who does those things, meaning he keeps all of the law of Moses, all of the commandments, shall live by them. They will have eternal life for fulfilling those commandments, those rules. But as no one kept them, let's remember, no one was able to keep the law of Moses until Jesus Christ came but no one before had kept the law of Moses. They were not able to fulfill it. And this is why the Lord had removed them from his presence. He said, there is not one. This is why all have fallen short of the glory of God. And this is why the Lord, he then intervenes immediately. He intervenes because he had mercy of mankind. This is why this verse, that righteousness, God could have seen it as righteousness to whoever had kept all of the law or all of the rules of the law of Moses. But as no one did keep them, our Lord Jesus Christ, then he removed and abolished that law to start a new method of salvation. He, on the cross of Calvary, 
He abolished all of this. And with the cross, the law was made null. And he said, from here on out, you will no longer be saved. You will no longer attain eternal life because you keep the law of Moses. But it is by believing in Jesus Christ and doing the true works that the Holy Spirit will be teaching you from here on out. Because the commandments of God, they continue to stand. And the law of our God continues to stand in the hearts of men and women who convert to God. The Holy Spirit comes into men and women who believe and who accept the Savior. He comes into their heart and begins to teach them the rules, the commandments, all morals, all of the values. The Holy Spirit begins to teach this person in their heart. This is why it is said that when the Holy Spirit comes into the heart of a person, this person is then circumcised. That is the true circumcision because the Lord is removing all the evil, all sins, and he comes to dwell in the heart of that person. And this person then begins to do good works for God. This is what the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ does. This is what occurs with this true conversion, with this new method of salvation. As no one was able to fulfill that law in antiquity, for it was difficult to fulfill the law, now in this new era, in this new era of salvation, the Holy Spirit is the one who helps us. And the apostle, in a, in a certain part, he said, if you have the Holy Spirit, because if you don't have the Holy Spirit, well then, you are not able to change. You will continue on in your sin as before, as all of those who had lived in sin before. This is why it is important for us to know to know God's truth, to know the path, for us to know what needs to be done to please God, to receive the Holy Spirit, to have the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God in our hearts. And He circumcises us, He sanctifies us, He transforms us, He changes our being, and we cease and stop sinning, we stop offending the Lord. And we begin to continue and follow in this path of life toward eternal life. That is what the Lord does. That is the true path the Lord has set. It is the new method of salvation. Now in verse number six, it says, the apostle is saying, but the righteousness of faith, meaning our Lord believing in the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, it speaks, this righteousness of faith, which comes through believing in Jesus Christ, speaks in this way, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, verse 7. So don't say, well, God is too far. God is too far from me. What can I do to make Christ come down from heaven and come to my life. And if the Lord, if he goes to the abyss, what can I say and ask for him to come up and be here with us, to be with me in my heart? If God is so far, well, it says that we should not say that, nor should we think it, because that's not the case. 
And so I'm going to read these verses literally. Do not say in your heart, verse 6, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead? Verse 8, but what does it say? What does the scripture, the true, what does the scripture truly say? Well, the word is near your near you, meaning men and women. So men and women, the word of God is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, because the Holy Spirit has come into you, has taken your mouth and your tongue to speak, has taken your heart, your soul, your being, has taken over so that you do good works for the Lord, so that you conduct yourself down that holy, righteous path. The Holy Spirit is there. He is the one who speaks for you. He is the one who does things. He is the one that transforms you and makes you to live a holy life. And it says, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith. This is what the apostle Paul says. This, that is the word of faith, which we preach. Blessed and praised is the name of the Lord. And we today as well, we today, just as the Apostle Paul, we say this is the word of faith which we preach. Faith in Jesus Christ. What is faith? It is to believe that Jesus Christ is God, the Son of God, who God sent. To believe that he left his Holy Spirit. He sent his Spirit so that the Holy Spirit may be with us. So that the Holy Spirit may be in our mouth and in our heart to be in our mouth when we speak, when we prophesy, in our heart for the knowledge of the Lord's word and also to do good works and also to convert to God and live the holiness that he wants us to live. And so this verse is so very important that we should not say God is so far. Who is going to ascend into heaven to bring him down? Or who will go into the abyss to bring the Lord up? No, we cannot express these things because the Lord is so near us, much closer than we even imagine. He is there, close, nearby, the Holy Spirit. He says, he is near you. The word is near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart. That is is what we preach about Jesus Christ. This is what we preach about the true gospel of the Lord. And it is not that he is a distant God, a God that is far, and that since he is so far off, this is why we need to send him a message through someone else and to go and carry that message for us through someone who is dead or a saint who has already passed away. Okay, take this message to God because since he is so far, but that is not true. God is here. God is so near us, so near that he is in our mouth. He is in our words, in our heart. Glory be to the Lord because he gave his, his life to be here with human beings because he loves us. The glory be to the Lord. This is why he loves us. Glory be to God. And so in verse number nine, what does the apostle Paul say in reference to this? That if you... Men, men or women, confess with your mouth. Now he here is speaking to the Jews as well, the Israelites. 
Here he was speaking to the Jews and Israelites because here he was speaking of his brethren, the Jews, the Israelites. And he was comparing them to Gentiles and also including them. And then later when he says in verse 8 that the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. And he says in verse 9 that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus so he is telling a Jew, an Israelite, confess, confess with your mouth, declare and preach to people, I believe in Jesus Christ, he was sent by God. I believe he is the Messiah that the Lord was going to send, the Messiah that God spoke about through his prophets in antiquity. I believe it is Jesus Christ. This is what verse nine is saying. When the Apostle Paul says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and that there is no one else who was sent and that there was no one else coming in the future, he's already come. And if you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, meaning if you believe, he tells the Jews, if you believe that Jesus Christ resurrected on the third day because there was a great debate on because of this topic, when the Lord resurrected on the third day, there were some Jews who paid false witnesses to say that it was a lie, that he had not resurrected, and that they had just paid someone to remove his body and to take it somewhere else to say that it was a lie, that Jesus Christ did not resurrect. There were so many things that they did in that time, things that are not even written about, but we can just imagine what occurred. And so, here it says that the Lord did resurrect on the third day. He did resurrect. Now here, the Apostle Paul wanted to convince his brethren, the Jews, the Israelites, and he tells them, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and to the Gentiles, well, to the Gentiles, they, the Apostle Paul, did not truly need to convince them and ask them to confess the Lord Jesus as the Savior, because the Gentiles, their entire life, they had lived with idols, with demons, with the dead, praising the dead, praising demons, praising idols and statues and different beliefs and different superstitions and so many other things that the Gentiles lived with from the very beginning. And now they are being preached a God in spirit and truth, a true God that works miracles and signs. And... He is, they are taught that our Lord Jesus Christ came, the Messiah, the promise from God that he came and he died and resurrected on the third day. They immediately believed. Those who were to believe, they believed immediately and they could not refute nor deny because they were not seeking a true God of living power. And up until that moment, they had finally found it. And so verse nine is exclusively for those who did not believe who do not believe in Jesus Christ as the Savior and as the promised Messiah. For those who did not believe, who do not believe at this moment, this verse 9 is for them. That if you confess with your mouth, meaning if you acknowledge and you accept that yes, our Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord, He is God, and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will be saved. Any religion, any religion that exists in the world 
today or even in the future, if they do not submit themselves to this verse 9, well, then they will not be saved because they need to confess that Jesus Christ is the Messiah who God sent and that he is the only way that leads to eternal salvation, to eternal life. Verse 9. And so never forget Romans chapter 10, verse 9. When maybe you lose heart and you feel afflicted, read Romans 10, verse 9, and ask God to help you, to teach you. Ask God for the Lord to enter your heart, enter your life, to use you, to use your mouth, to use your word, to use your heart, that the Lord may dwell in you. This is the beautiful part. Do not forget verse 9. This is for all who rejected, who still reject and will reject Jesus Christ as the Savior, as the way that leads to eternal life. Verse 9, practice that if you want to be saved and attain eternal life. For if not, then your religion is in vain. In verse 10, for with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation now what is it we're doing well with our heart we believe we believe to attain that righteousness of god god is in my heart and i want to do good works i want to do his will god's will because i want to attain eternal life and i want god to say that i am righteous so i seek the lord with all my heart but what is in my heart, what is in my being, I must, of course, express with my mouth and speak and confess that God is the truth. God is the only way that the Lord works miracles and signs that the Holy Spirit exists. The Holy Spirit has come to us. The Lord has worked miracles, signs, wonders. The, the Spirit speaks to us, gives us visions and dreams, and we have the gift of prophecy and revelation that we believe in the Lord, and we are fighting to obtain more of Him. I am speaking. I am preaching with my mouth. And it says here, with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation, so that people who hear may believe and be saved. Verse 11. For the Scripture says, Whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Verse 11, for the scripture says, whoever believes on him, Jesus Christ, as the Messiah who came, will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. So meaning there is no distinction between Jews and Greeks or Jews and Gentiles. The Lord will be the same, Lord over all who call upon him, all who love him, because whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Calling upon the Lord is not saying, Lord, Lord, or in a moment of danger saying, Lord, 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 please save me. No, calling on the name of the Lord means believing in him, doing God's will, having God in our heart having the Spirit of God, trusting in Him fully that He will give us eternal life and to begin to do His will and His commandments. This we call calling upon the Lord. Calling on the Lord is with your being, with complete obedience, and 
It is the fulfillment of the Lord's commands. It is doing God's will completely. That is calling on the Lord. It is not just saying, Lord, Lord, because we were given an example. The apostles, they said demons, they too believe. Demons, they too say, Lord, Lord. Now, people who go to sorcerers and mediums, well, they say they even have an open Bible. Of course, they are defiling all things, and it is to deceive people. And so the devil deceives people. The devil says, well, yes, I believe in the Bible. Yes, you ask the devil, and you say, do you believe in God? And he will say, yes. The devil will say, yes, I do believe in God. How can I not if I'm his enemy, is what the devil would say. But so the matter is not just speaking, but the matter is actually fulfilling and doing things with your heart. This is what this verse 13 means. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord, whoever calls on the name of the Lord, that means that they live in God's path. And this is why they shall be saved, implying they will attain salvation because upon calling the name of the Lord, they will live with God. God will dwell in their life. They will stop sinning. And the day that they die, they will attain eternal life. That is verse 13. And so do not deceive yourself in saying, okay, well, this is saying whoever calls on the name of the Lord, well, I'll, I'll call upon him and I'll take advantage of life. I'll enjoy life. I'll sin. I'll do whatever I want. And the day that I die, I'll call on the Lord. And that is how I'll attain eternal life. The day that I die, I'll say, Lord, Lord, forgive me. Lord, Lord, have mercy of me. You're deceiving yourself. You're deceiving yourself because that's not how it is. God does not see that, that you're just going to speak to him in that very last moment after living a life full of disorder. No, calling on the Lord is living your life with him and you shall be saved. Now, when the apostle Paul, what he wants to highlight here that when you call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, it is accepting that Jesus Christ was sent by God. Because the difficult here thing is, for many people is that they don't want to accept. They don't want to believe that Jesus Christ is God himself and that he is the giver of eternal life. There are people that it is very difficult for them. They say, no, I just believe in a God. I believe in a father. But Jesus Christ, I don't believe. No, it is Jesus Christ. Whoever calls on Jesus Christ, whoever dwells and lives with him will be saved. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him so how will people call upon god or upon our lord jesus christ in whom they have not believed how can they call on jesus christ if they don't believe in him verse 14 how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed and how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard and how shall they hear without a preacher so there's no one to preach to them about Jesus Christ. So how will they believe? How will they call on him? Verse 15, and how shall they preach unless they are sent? So how can someone go and preach about Jesus Christ if they were not appointed by God and sent by God? Now it does cite a verse. It says, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings. It is in Isaiah 52, seven. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. They are preaching the gospel. They are preaching Jesus Christ, who bring glad tidings. Jesus Christ 
He is the precursor, the savior who leads to eternal life. Those are the glad tidings. So God, he has to send them. The apostle is saying, God has sent me. He has sent us, the apostles. And this is why we are preaching because God has sent us and now God has given us the word to preach and we are now confident. We have seen God's marvels. This is why we preach and this is why we're confident in what we're saying. Now, the apostle says that no one does anything without it being God's will. So God needs to make a calling. God needs to send. God needs to support. God needs to give people commands. And aside from that, give them that backing and miracles and signs so that people believe, so that people hear that preaching and convert to God. This is what the apostle is highlighting in verse 14 and 15. Now in verse 16, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Not all have obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says in his prophecy, Lord, who has believed our report? In Isaiah 53.1, the, the prophet says, Who has believed our report, our announcement, everything that we are speaking concerning the Savior, the Messiah, who has believed? No one, very few, very few have believed. So the apostle Paul in verse 17, so then faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. When God sends his preachers, his messengers to preach, to teach the glad tidings of salvation, although not all obey, some will obey, well, then it says that that hearing, hearing of that word, well, that is how faith comes in. That faith is believing and in hearing the word of God. Verse 18, the apostle says, but I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. So, it is saying that in Psalm 19, verse 4, the Lord spoke in that prophecy and said that throughout all of the earth, the voices of those preachers of concerning the glad tidings has gone out, all of those apostles and prophets. It says their words to the ends of the world, that from there on out, the Lord would be sending. He would be sending his apostles, his prophets, his evangelists, his teachers or preachers, pastors, sending them to preach the good tidings of salvation and that the people that would hear would believe in the Lord and would accept the Lord in their heart. And so that is the way in which God was teaching the new method of salvation and how it needed to be worked from there on out. They needed to work in this way. No longer did they need to do so many physical material things and to keep a lot of rules that were physical like the law was, but just by hearing, hearing the word, then comes faith and that belief in the Lord. And that belief then comes to my heart. And so here in my heart, God comes in to dwell with me. The spirit of the Lord comes to dwell and he begins to transform my life. He begins to transform my life and I begin to please God. I praise him, I glorify him. 
And so this is when the Lord says, well, now I will give you the spiritual gifts so that you may also give them to your brethren with laying on of hands and prophecy and with the dreams and the visions. In so many ways, God begins to manifest himself in this new method of salvation, the true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of this occurs in the gospel of the Lord, all of these things. And so the apostle then is saying, the Lord has sent us the apostles to preach. And he cites the Bible when he says, I, I will provoke you to jealousy. Now, the apostle Paul was speaking here because he's always referenced to the Jews, the Israelites in that time. He said, remember the Lord, he spoke through the prophet and says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. And that was in reference to the Gentiles. The Apostle Paul began to say to them, the message of the glad tidings or of the new method of salvation, it was not just for Jews and Israelites, but for the Gentiles as well. And that between those two nations, the Lord would then form one nation, one. And that has occurred. It has happened. I believe this will happen because the Lord spoke it and this is the Lord's word. Now in verse 20, but Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. Here in Isaiah, we find the words of the Savior. It is our Lord Jesus Christ speaking. He says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was not being sought out by the Gentiles, but I was found by them. They were not seeking me, but they found me and they have believed in me. The Gentiles, they have believed in the Lord. He says, I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. The Gentiles, they never asked for the living God because they had their idols, they had their gods. But here in this moment, when the preaching of the good tidings of salvation begins, they hear the word of God and they convert. They do appreciate and cherish the Lord's word and they convert. They are the first to convert. And then later, very slowly, the brethren, the Jews, or the Israelites start to convert. Now in verse 21, but to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So the Lord here in Isaiah 65, verse two, the Lord lamented upon the people of Israel saying all day long, meaning all the time, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people and truly, that's how it was when our Lord was present on earth preaching. They always cast down the word of the Lord. They always criticized him. They always said many displeasing things concerning him. They did not believe in his preaching, in his message. But the Lord left his apostles and says, you continue with this task, with the duty of preaching my name to Jews and Gentiles, because I will make one nation and the Gentiles will hear and they will believe in me. And so all of us today, we, the majority, we consider ourselves to be Gentiles. And we have believed in the Lord. We have believed in the word. We have believed in our Lord Jesus Christ as the only way as that divine shepherd that 
shepherds us and who will lead us to eternal life and who will help us change, who will help us live a holy life. And he will support us as well. When we need to open our mouth to preach and teach his word, he will be with us. And we, we will be grasping and seizing those blessings and carrying along many souls for the kingdom of God. And so this is the work, this is the, the task or the, the work that the Lord wants us to do. It is marvelous work. Apparently it seems difficult, but it is beautiful to preach a living, powerful God. The manifestation of God in his son, Jesus Christ, that is the Lord's word. That is the word of faith that we preach, and that is what the Apostle Paul said, and that is what we say today, the word of faith, our Lord Jesus Christ, believing in him. He is God, the manifestation of God in him. And so I invite you all to continue reading the Bible. Read the Bible, and in your heart, set it for the Lord. Prepare your heart for God, and long with all of your heart to please God. Please him, do his will, be humble, be modest. And remember that with wars, we're not able to remove another war. With wars and wars, there can be no peace. With violence, there can be nothing done, nothing. It generates more violence. Love, humility, modesty, patience, and calling out to the Lord is the only thing that will help us, the only thing that will save us. And so do not complain so much. Do not worry about the things that are happening today and maybe blaming others. No one is at fault. And so people say, well, the person, the king of this country is to blame or the, the ruler of that nation or the, the mayor, he's at fault. No, no one is to blame. All of society is to blame all are to blame because we have turned away from God and we have devoted ourselves to doing evil things. And this is why everything that occurs and that we see is happening. And this is why we see the decline in the world. And this is why we need to love the Lord, call upon the Lord, seek him and change the way that you are and you will live in peace and happiness. And so with violence, we will not solve any problem. Nothing will be solved that way, rather, It'll probably be worse. Violence and wars and, and, and evil will be worse. But we must seek the Lord. In this time, it is a time to seek the Lord because mankind has turned away. Each day, they or things are happening, horrible things in the world, sins that we had never even heard of, things that are unlawful, things that we have never heard, they are happening. The devil is inciting people and moving them to invent things to displease God. And God is upset and he sends the different elements of nature to come against us. That's what the Lord does. And so then you will say, oh, well, God is so violent. No, be careful. Be careful in offending God and be very careful in speaking blasphemy of the Lord. Ask the Lord with all of your heart and you will see how you will find a loving God in your life. Our God is love. Let us pray. Oh, blessed almighty God. Oh, blessed heavenly Father, creator of the heavens and earth. Our God, who created the first man, Adam and Eve. Our mighty God, 
who throughout the entire Bible, we have seen that you have manifested yourself to man. You have manifested yourself with many benefits, with many blessings, but also you have taught us and you have given us examples and you've left us with the example that you have placed a heavy hand upon the stubborn, the rebellious, those who are hard of heart, all those who want to live in their stubbornness and wrath. Oh, Heavenly Father, you have taught us all of this, these paths, and you have shown us with many different illustrations and examples. With all of the experiences of those biblical people, we have known and we have understood your love and your mercy and your rigor as well. But Lord, we want to have a Father, a God of love. We do not want a God that is consuming fire, but we want a God of love. And we want to do your will and to please you and to be good children, to be righteous, upright before you, so that you also may bless us and may hear our prayers each time that we present ourselves before you. Thank you, my Lord. Thank you, my God, my Father. I know that your mighty hand will be work, you will work in the world and the nations and the leaders. You are helping them. You are helping people. And that you too will show yourself to people. You will reveal yourself to people and teach them your existence. I know all of this you also do out of love and mercy. Oh, my Father, help us. Help us, Lord, because we want to do your will. We want to please you, but we also want to feel your presence constantly in our lives. Blessed and praised is your name for all eternity and evermore. Your love is so great and your mercy is forever. Your promises, they are faithful and true. And you have made us many promises in life. And we trust and we believe that this will come to pass. Thank you, Lord, for your love and for your mercy. Thank you, Lord, because your mighty hand will be there to bless. To bless all those who truly set themselves. They prepare their heart for you to do what is right. Thank you, Holy Father. Thank you, Lord, in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, your beloved Son. And also, Lord, in this moment, I ask that you extend your mighty hand and that you work miracles and signs and that you heal, that you cleanse and deliver many people. There are many people that are ill. They have diverse illnesses and diseases. Some are hospitalized. Some are at home. And I ask, Lord, they have called out to you in prayer for you to hear them for you to extend your hand and that you may work miracles and signs, that you may show your power, your existence, because we preach you, Lord, but you are the one that works the miracles and signs. We have no power. All power lies in your hands. Oh, my Father, also deliver those who are slaves to witchcraft and sorcery. Rebuke those unclean spirits and those curses that have come to torment many people, el the elderly and children. Lord, deliver them and cleanse them and remove that slavery of the devil. Remove all of that work of evil. Deliver and cleanse each person, Heavenly Father. Blessed and praised is your name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for hearing our prayer. Thank you for hearing our pleas. Thank you for looking upon us. And Lord, you know that we love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, and we give you the honor and all praise. 
all of this, Lord. We express in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you. The glory be for you now and evermore. Amen. Glory be to the name of the Lord. We'll be singing chorus 170, Only God Can Bring Joy to Our Lives. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Here life is worthless. God's joy is endless. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Only God can bring joy to your life. Only God can bring joy to your life. Here life is worthless. God's joy is endless. Only God can bring joy to your life. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Here life is worthless. God's joy is endless. Only God can bring joy to our lives. Only God can bring joy to your life. Only God can bring joy to your life. Here life is worthless. God's joy is endless. Only God can bring joy to your life. The honor and the glory be for our God. May my Lord bless you all greatly. Many hugs and kisses for all the children. I love you with all of my heart until next time.